When Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, there were some magi from the east. They're called today wise men. And they said when they came to Jerusalem, we have come to worship him. If you would be wise, you would do the same. It seems, however, when people of this age get a hold of anything sacred, they sure know how to goof it up. I was given an article a couple weeks back. A syndicated columnist in the newspaper wrote an article called, If Political Correctness Had Been Present at Christ's Birth. It would have gone like this. Joseph went up from Galilee to Bethlehem with Mary, his espoused wife, who was great with child. And she brought forth a son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And the angel of the Lord spoke to the shepherds and said, I bring you tidings of great joy unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Well, there's a problem with that angel, said a Pharisee who happened to be strolling by. As he explained to Joseph, angels are widely regarded as religious symbols, and the stable was on public property where such symbols were not allowed to land or even hover. And I have to tell you, this whole thing looks to me very much like a nativity scene, Joseph. And that's a no-no. Joseph had a bright idea. What if I put a couple of reindeer over there next to the ox and the ass? He said that, eager to avoid sectarian strife. That would definitely help, said the Pharisee, who knew as well as anyone that whenever a Savior appears, judges usually like to be on the safe side and surround it with a deer or woodland creatures of some sort. Just to clinch it, throw in a candy cane and a couple of elves and a snowman too. No court could ever resist that. And then Mary said, What does my son's birth have to do with snowmen? That's snow persons, cried a young woman, (laughs) changing the subject before it veered dangerously toward religion. Off to the side of the crowd, a Philistine was painting a nativity scene. Mary complained that she and Joseph looked too tattered and, and worn in that picture. It's artistic license, he said. I've got to show the plight of the haggard and homeless in a greedy, uncaring society in the winter. Well, we're not haggard or homeless. The inn was just full, said Mary. Whatever, said the painter. Two women began to argue fiercely. One said that she objected to Jesus' birth because it privileged motherhood. The other scoffed at virgin births but said that if they encouraged more attention to diversity in family forms and the right of single mothers, well, then she was all for them. But I'm not a single mother, Mary said. But she was cut off by a third woman who insisted that swaddling clothes are a form of child abuse since they restrict the natural movements of babies. With the arrival of ten child advocates, all trained to spot infant abuse and manger rash, Mary and Joseph were pushed to the edge of the crowd where arguments were breaking out over how many reindeer or what mix of reindeer and seasonal sprites had to be installed to compensate for the infant's unfortunate religious character. An older man bustled up, bowling over the two merchants who had been busy debating whether an elf is the same as a fairy or whether the elf fairy should be shaking hands with Jesus in the crib or 
merely standing to the side, jumping around like a sports mascot. You know, I'd hold off on those reindeer, the man said, explaining that the use of asses and oxen as picturesque backdrops for nativity scenes carries the subliminal message of human dominance. And so he passed out two leaflets, one denouncing manger births as invasion of animal space, the other arguing that stables are penned environments where animals are incarcerated against their will. He had no opinion about elves or candy canes. Free the Bethlehem too, signs began to appear, referring to obviously the exploited os and the axe. Someone said that the halo on Jesus' head was elitist. Mary was now exasperated. And what about you, old mother? She said sharply to one woman. Are you here to attack the shepherds as prison guards for excluding species? Maybe to complain that singing in Latin identifies us with the Romans? Or perhaps to say that I should have skipped patriarchal religiosity and just joined some dumb New Age goddess movement? None of the above, said the woman. I just wanted to tell you that the Magi are here. Sure enough, three wise men rode up. The crowd gasped. (gasps) They're all male. (laughs) And they're not very multicultural. Then a calm voice said, Be of good cheer, Mary. You have done well. Your son will change this world. At last, a sane person, she thought. She turned to see the radiant, confident female voice. The woman spoke again. There's one thing, though. Religious holidays are important, but can't we learn to celebrate them in ways that unite and not divide? For instance, instead of all this business about Gloria in excelsis Deo, why not just say, season's greetings? Mary said, you mean my son has entered human history to deliver the message, hello, it's winter? That's harsh, Mary, replied the woman. Remember, your son could make it big in midwinter festivals if he doesn't push this religious thing too far. Centuries from now, in nations yet unborn, people will give each other pricey presents, have big office parties on his birthday. Let me get back to you, Mary said. This world needed a savior. That's why God didn't send a politician. (laughs) Or a king. He sent a savior. And the angel came to Joseph and Mary and said, You shall name him Jesus. That will be his name. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what the world needed. God loves you. And whether that's politically correct or not, He doesn't care. He just loves you anyway. When Jesus was born, He was born in a stable, as you know, outside of a tiny little town in southern Judah. A town called Bethlehem, the house of bread, the city of David. He was born there because the world was forced to be registered by Caesar Augustus. He was the big wig in Rome. He flexed his muscles, people jumped. And he thought it was important that, if necessary, whole populations shift in order to get back to their town of origin and be registered. 
which caused Joseph and Mary to leave Nazareth and go down to Bethlehem. Now that was all according to prediction. God prophesied in the Old Testament that that would happen. In Micah chapter 5 verse 2, the prophet said, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who is to be the ruler in Israel. You see, Caesar Augustus, as mighty as he thought he was, was a peanut pawn on God's chessboard. God was moving him to move Joseph and Mary down to Bethlehem to fulfill the prediction. And he was born. And talk about Christmas gifts. He topped the list. There's been no greater gift given to men or women than Jesus Christ. He was given as God's gift of love to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For unto us a child is born, Isaiah said. Unto us a son is given. Jesus is God's gift to you. I hope you have him in your heart. He's a Christmas present that God gave to you that will last a lifetime. A couple of things about this unique gift called Jesus. Number one, he was wrapped in humility. He didn't come like most Christmas presents, all shiny and full of glitz. He came wrapped in skin, a humble baby. He didn't lie on satin, but in old rags, in a dirty manger, streaked with the saliva of farm animals. He was not attended by the finest physicians in Rome or Jerusalem. He was attended by shepherds, common people. And the common people loved him gladly, but though he was wrapped in humility, he was the king of kings. Another thing about this gift, Jesus, none of us deserve it. No one in this room or in this world deserves for God to give his sinless, perfect son for him to leave the throne room of heaven, become a man, and die on the cross. You know, it's interesting. I don't think any of us give gifts to people who slander us. I don't think you think of that irate neighbor this time of the year and think, oh yeah, you know that neighbor who gives me scowls and yells at me every time I pull in the driveway? It's Christmas. I I can't wait to give him the nicest gift. Some of you may, but you'd be unusual if you were. How many would say, oh, that thief who ripped off my stereo last year, it's Christmas, I want to buy him an even better stereo. (laughs) Though we don't give like that, God does. The Bible says, when we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for the ungodly. When we didn't deserve it. None of us can say, look God, I deserve heaven. I'm a nice person, I'm worth all that you've done. It was a gift that was given by grace of which none of us deserve. Now let's go to the heart of the story. Most of us celebrate the fact that Jesus came. But a lot of us neglect the reason why he came. That is the central main issue at Christmas. Not that he came, but why he came. And again, I draw your attention to the name Jesus. You will call his name Jesus because 
He will save his people from their sin. That's why he came. He came to save. He came to save people from their sin. He didn't come to give merchants an excuse to make a million bucks. He didn't come to leave a good example as a moral teacher and a high positive figure. He didn't come just to heal the sick and be nice by patting little young children on the head. He came to die on a cross. And we should always be reminded of that at Christmas. You see, Jesus' birth, though miraculous, though awesome, was not sufficient to save us from sin. His perfect sinless life and all of his great teaching, there was no redemptive value in that. The redemptive value came upon his death on the cross. Because you see, Jesus did not have to become a man to teach, to be a good example of morality, or to heal people. He could have just appeared in glory, sort of like the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. He could have pulled all of that off. Why did he become a man of flesh? So that he could die. He said, for this reason I came into this world, and to this end I was born. And he spoke of his death on the cross. You see, that's, that's part of the Christmas story that's not usually brought up. We like the idea of that little infant in the manger. Some of us get uncomfortable of that little infant growing up. We like to leave him in the manger. Oh, it's so sentimental, it's so warm. We don't like him growing up because when he grows up, He's very demanding. He says radical things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to heaven except through me. You must be born again, or you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And because people don't like that kind of radicalness, they'd rather just keep him as an infant. That's what Christmas is all about. It really is. Those tiny little hands that night in Bethlehem, those beautiful little hands... They were meant to hold nails. Those pink little baby's feet, as beautiful as they are, were meant to carry a cross up Calvary's hill and have spikes nailed in them. And that sweet little infant's head with those sparkly eyes were meant to one day accommodate a crown of thorns pushed into them by wicked men. I'm not trying to dampen your Christmas spirit. I'm not trying to make you think, oh, look, this is Christmas. Why do you bring that up? Can't you talk about warm fuzzies? And can't we just sing a few songs and go home? No. Because you see, the death of that little infant grown up is not a tragedy. It's a victory. It was that death that bought us salvation. That brought us into God's family. You will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. You know, names are important. And the name of Jesus Christ embodies his entire character. A lot of times parents will name children after people they know or they love or they'll come up with a name that just sounds good to them, not sometimes thinking of the ramifications of that name. There's a lot of names that kids have and they feel embarrassed about them, frankly. They grow up and they think, oh, I wish I could change my name. One psychologist studied 15,000 juvenile delinquents and found that those with odd or embarrassing names got into trouble four times as much as others. Names are important. And the name Jesus, though common among many Jewish males, embodied what Jesus would become. For the name Jesus, Yeshua or Yahoshua, means my God is salvation. Or Jehovah is salvation. He saves. 
He wasn't testifying of salvation. He was that salvation. For when he was a baby, he was brought into the temple, and a man named Simeon saw him there. And he came over and he worshipped. And he said, Now I can die a contented man, for I have seen thy salvation. What did he see? Why, he just saw a little baby. But Simeon said, I have seen your salvation. That's why Jesus came, to save men from sins. He was able to save... By the way, the word save means to rescue from danger. And if you don't know Jesus Christ tonight, it's important that you understand you're in danger. He came to save you from that. He's fitted to save because, number one, he's God. That little baby was not just a nice little person who grew up in a nice little environment saying nice little things. He was God in human flesh. And because he is God and because he was also man, he can touch man and touch God and bring us together. He's the bridge that covers that gap between God and man due to sin. And he can relate to you when you cry out, when you're in any pain, because God became a man and touched human flesh and suffered a criminal's death. He can relate to the stuff that we go through. I love Christmas. We've had three services here tonight. This is the third, and they've all been a blast. I love this time of year. We gather together and we sing, and it's a special time. I know that Christmas has become commercial. I know that people give gifts and they put up Christmas trees. But you know, I love this time of the year. I love this time of the year because it's always been special. Growing up, Christmas was always something to look forward to. But I love it for another reason. It has the name of Christ in it. And even the most hardened unbeliever gets a little softer this time of the year. Why, I've seen people who wouldn't darken the door of a church come to church Christmas Eve. And Easter, of course. And you know what? That's wonderful. That's good. I actually applaud that. And if you're one of those who gets mildly religious around this time of the year, we're glad you're here. Some of you even decide to pray this time of the year. You don't do it other times, but you do it this time. It's a nice little thing to do. That's good. But it's not the best. The best is that you experience Christmas after it ends. That it's more than just a sentiment. A few sparkly lights and gifts. It's the person of Christ who lives in your heart with whom you have a personal relationship with. Most people have been inoculated with just enough of God and religion to keep them immune from the real thing. An author speaking about this time of the year in his own experience said, It is Christmas night. In a few hours, the cleanup will begin. The lights will come down. The trees will be thrown out. Size 36 will be exchanged for size 40. Eggnog will be on sale for half price. (laughs) That's the time to buy it. Soon life will be normal again. December's generosity will become January's payments and the magic will begin to fade. But for the moment, the magic is still in the air. Maybe that's why I'm still awake tonight. I want to savor the Spirit just a bit more. I want to pray that those who beheld Him today will look for Him next August. And I can't help but linger on one fanciful thought 
that if he can do so much with such timid prayers lamely offered in December, how much more could he do if we thought of him every day? That little baby grew up. And he was very controversial. He was very radical. He was not religious at all. He blew the minds of the people of his day. And then he went to a cross and he died volitionally, substitutionary death. And then he rose again from the dead, and tonight he's still alive. He is still alive. And he saves people from their sins. He's still in the business of doing that. Peter, after the resurrection, one of Jesus' disciples said, Neither is there any other name given among men by which we must be saved. You must be saved to enter into his kingdom. If you go through this season without letting Christ, Jesus himself, come into your heart and life and be the reason for the season and the center of your existence, you have missed it once again altogether. And it is simply a once a year reason to get together and feel good and then it will leave again. He came to save you. Ceremony can't do that. Religion can't do that. Philosophy can't do that. But Jesus can do that. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We celebrate that tonight. We're grateful that when we see the manger, the shadow of the cross falls upon that crib. And that that little baby had one destiny for death. Because it gives us life. Let's bow our heads. Lord, in just a few minutes, it will be officially what we call... Christmas Day in this region of the country. It is something that merchants have planned for and parents have scurried about over and children have chewed their fingernails off waiting for. But we celebrate, Lord, the fact of the birth of a Savior and the reason that He came to save people from sin There is no getting around that. Though we might like to skirt the issue, make things a little more politically correct, it's better to be spiritually correct and in line and in tune with you. I pray, Lord, that all of us would enjoy your presence, the presence of the living God, in our hearts and in our homes, tonight and tomorrow and through the year, that we would not push you out with the tree, we would not keep you out in the cold as we take the lights down, that you would warm our hearts continually. Lord, we are not interested in getting together and playing church or doing the God thing once a year. We are interested in being real and authentic and giving our lives to you. And I pray, Father, tonight, as you have brought relatives of loved ones, those who are curious, those who stand afar, those who feel they are good or religious or whatever enough, that you would simply now convince that you're bigger than all of that stuff 
and you want something more intimate and personal with each one. Would you do that, Lord? Would you now touch hearts in this room? As you have given the greatest gift to all mankind, may we give back the gift that you want tonight, and that is our lives in becoming your disciples. And as your heads are bowed tonight and you're contemplating your own life, you may have been brought by a friend or you might have come because it's Christmas Eve and it's kind of nice to do that once a year. But I encourage you and urge you to do business with the living God. God's not interested in you becoming religious. He's not a religious person. He's God. He doesn't need to be. But He wants you to have a personal relationship with His Son. For that to happen, you must admit that you need Him. Admit that you're a sinner and ask Him to cleanse you of your sins, save you from your sins, and to be your Savior. You must ask Him. That's what the Bible says. And before we close this meeting and we celebrate in just the next five minutes, Christmas come this year. How about it? How about giving maybe the present, the one thing that God doesn't have, and that's your life, your heart, your discipleship. He has a lot of hearts here tonight, but if he doesn't have yours, it's not enough. He wants you to become his disciple and follow him. And I just want to give you the invitation. If you don't know him and you'd like to make peace with God tonight, be assured that you're forgiven. Know that your name is written in his book of life forever and come into a personal relationship. Then I want you to give him your heart. And if you want to do that, I'd like you to signify right now by just raising your hand up in the air and keeping it up. And I'll pray for you before we close the service. Raise your hand up right now. And I'll acknowledge it. Keep that hand up. God bless you too up front. And over here toward the back. Anyone else? Just raise your hand up. Back there to my left. God bless you. Way, way in the back. Anyone else? Yep, right there in the back. Another one. The Bible says as many as received him... He gave them the right, the power, the authority to become His children. To as many as really believe in His name. That's what we're asking you to do. To come by faith and believe in His name. And just try it. Take Him up at His word and see if He won't change your life forever.